Hello, friends, and welcome to our SBT Sunday teaching. Today is a very special Sunday. It's Christmas Eve, and I wish everybody a Merry Christmas. Um, of course, my name is Tenzin Tarpa. Uh, before we begin our class, let's take a moment to appreciate our community gathered here today. <clears throat> today, I feel fortunate to sit as a member of this kind community in the safety and security of like-minded friends, sharing the present moment with others dedicated to the cultivation of goodness. Today, I'm grateful for the direction and support that this community provides, a community worthy of my time and commitment, a community where my efforts have meaning, purpose, and are appreciated. Today, I'm thankful for this community of awakening, a place to gain the knowledge and skills to improve my life, a family, a home, and a sanctuary for all of us seeking refuge from the storm. And let's remember, as conscientious practitioners, we must recognize our responsibility to the world, to strive to live skillfully while helping others to do the same, to strive to live in balance and harmony with nature and others to strive to gain mastery over our minds and embody our true benevolent nature, to expand our hearts and minds and transcending our shared human limitations, to not intentionally harm sentient life or our planet, and to maturely accept and embrace the reality of our situation while striving to improve it. And again, welcome to our Sunday teaching. So I thought we would keep this teaching tonight just light and uh, review some material that I wanted to get to, being that it's Christmas Eve. <clears throat> We've recently just released an updated version of our practice guides. And We've um, also updated the practices in our, in our training as well. And I thought it would be really great for new people to SBT to have a video um, showing uh, and explaining how we train and practice with SBT. So as we mentioned some of our material, there's three kind of aspects to engaging with Buddhism. There's um, study, which most people do by reading some books. Maybe they've you've uh, watched some podcasts or watched some videos of Buddhist teachers on YouTube, and you find some interest in it. Um, the other one is practice. And practice uh, can be learning how to meditate, uh, the practice of mindfulness, and there's other practices as well. And I think either one of those is how, how probably most people find their way to Buddhism and engage with Buddhism, either finding something interesting. For myself, somebody gave me a, a fascinating book. I think it was a book by the Dalai Lama some 30 years ago that really captivated me and got me interested in Buddhism. But other people uh, might have taken a meditation course, or maybe because of their health, their doctor recommended them to learn meditation. So, but either one of those is usually the way people find them, their way to Buddhism. And these are two very important aspects of Buddhism. But then there's also the aspect of training. And sadly, training is the 
is the part of Buddhism that that there isn't much focus on nowadays. When you join Western Buddhist groups or spiritual groups or meditation or mindfulness groups, it's usually just about some study, some reading, and some meditation. But training is is quite possibly the most important of of all of them. So important that the Buddha wrote a whole category of teaching material called Vinaya, specifically about training. And uh, <clears throat> so, training is of in is uh, involved in. Uh, oftentimes, we think of training as taking vows of or taking precepts of ethical behavior, virtuous behavior, um, and um, which starts with refuge, taking refuge in Buddhism. And from there, there's, there's deeper levels of training that you can go through, depending on your level of commitment and how far you wish to engage with Buddhism. It's always voluntarily, and it's a question of just how deep do you want your practice to go? For some people, refuge is fine. Other people, they like to go deeper. Um, with SBT, we put a lot of emphasis, as the Buddha did, on training. Of course, the, all three are holistic. They all depend on each other. All three are needed. Um, but uh, we like to, to bring back a really good balance of the three with SBT. Okay, so with that said, I wanted to explain uh, what training and practice in SBT involves, and as well as explain uh, the new practice guides that we have. So, um, and all of this material can be downloaded from our website. So I'd like to share this. So. <clears throat> When taking, uh, when beginning training, the first training is given when we take refuge, taking refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And, um, and I'll just read from, from here. This is refuge level, daily training and practice. So once you've taken refuge in a refuge ceremony, this is what, uh, these are the training and practices that you are given and expected to follow. So. The essence of the Buddhist path lies in the threefold training. And this is different than the three, three aspects of Buddhism that I just talked about. Of We talked about study, uh, practice, and training. These are three aspects of training itself. And it's training in virtue, training in understanding, and training in awareness which are cultivated through study, contemplation, and meditation, and practice. Um, at refuge level, <clears throat> daily training and practice consists of upholding one's refuge vows that you receive during your ceremony. I have light shining in my window. Okay. And uh, with refuge vows, there's 10 precepts for uh, refuge that are the first ones you receive. And basically what they are, they're precepts of awakened behavior and they're aspirational and they're, they're 10 um, aims to cultivate working towards awakening. So the, uh, 
So the, the first things we do for, in training is upholding those vows, precepts. And then there's commitments as well, commitments of practice. You're expected to, uh, to recite morning affirmations and uh, other, uh, other affirmations and, and things for meditation, for meals. Um, and then commitments of, of uh, practice and also commitments of, of saying your refuge vow every day, of um, purifying your, monk, your vows every month during our purification ceremony, which is the last Sunday of every month. And so those commitments are there regardless of what level you're at. So when we talk about different levels, we're talking about different levels of training. So this is the initial level of training. And then at this level of refuge, we have the cultivation of the Four Noble Truths, which is uh, developed through the practice, practices of the Four Tasks, the Four, the Eightfold Path, and abiding on the breath and shining. So these are uh, all various practices with SPT. And I, I probably should have mentioned this earlier. Refuge is the first level of training, but we do have, we do have study guides for two other levels. We, the first is novice level. So novice is a person who is new, possibly new to Buddhism. They haven't taken vows yet. They haven't dug into any specific practices. And that practice guide is just a handful of affirmations. It's just a, a way to to uh, cultivate their practice and to uh, to give them uh, some structure and guidance for the practice during the day. And then the next level we have is a skillful living level. This also doesn't have any vows that are committed to. This is for people that have gone through a skillful living program, and it's a way of giving them structure in their practice of the various practices that we teach in that level. <clears throat> and then, but when, when people become serious about their practice, you'll want to engage in training. The difference between practice and training is oftentimes practice is something that we do when we have time for it, when we feel like it, right? We meditate sometime on others. But when it comes to training, the biggest part is the commitment to practice. You're making a commitment that uh, a commitment of daily practice. So this is where uh, we become serious in our practice. Right? When when people become serious about Buddhism, when people really want to get a result from their practice, when they when they're uh, when they're ready to commit they begin their training. So commitment is the, is the key difference between those. Okay, so getting back to this, the uh, cultivation of the Four Noble Truths, and we know the Four Noble Truths over here as being the truth of suffering, the truth of the cause of suffering, the truth of the cessation or stopping of suffering, and the truth of the path leading to the cessation of suffering, the Eightfold Path. So this is something that we study a great example of study, but also we want to cultivate it and embody it. And so we do that through the Eightfold Path here, 
which uh, is right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. <clears throat> so this is the path that leads to awakening. Right? This is the Buddhist prescribed method of awakening. <clears throat> but then we can also cultivate the Four Noble Truths themselves. And the Buddha gave these instructions of a practice called the Four Tasks. And the Buddha suggested that there's four tasks for each one of the four truths. And the first is suffering are to be known. Known here means understood. And we do that through study, learning about them, learning all we can about, about suffering, going to classes, reading books. And then we contemplate it. And contemplation, for me, I always think of, you know, after I've studied it, I go to the back porch with a big cup of coffee, and I sit down, and I try to digest what I've studied and say, now, exactly what does that mean, right? This is contemplate. Think about those ideas. And then we meditate on it. And this means going to our cushion and engaging in insight meditation on suffering where we get the deepest contemplation. So this is called the three great objectives, study, contemplation, and meditation. So we engage with that to know suffering. And through that knowing, through that understanding, we arm ourselves with the knowledge to possibly transcend it. So that's how we start. The second one is the causes are to be abandoned. So once we understand what suffering is, and through that we understand its causes, we can then work to, I often like the word transcend more than abandon. We can learn to rise above those, and we can, we can learn to, uh, to, to stop creating that suffering within our lives because a great deal of the suffering that we deal with in our lives is self-inflicted. The number three is uh, their secession are to be actualized. <clears throat> and this means actually the experience of presence, stillness, and awakening. So through understanding suffering and transcending the causes of it, we're able to transcend suffering itself, right? And that's what this means to actualize the ending of suffering. And number four tells us how to do it, that we the Eightfold Path is to be relied upon. So they're not necessarily in, in any correct order. I think we start off with the first one, knowing it, right? Knowing our suffering. The Eightfold Path, we rely on for it. Um, well, I think the first two we study, and then, then we rely on the, on the Eightfold Path to actualize the third one, the cessation, the actual awakening, uh, transcending our suffering. So the four tasks are actually what we use to embody the Four Noble Truths, to lift them off the page and to make them worthwhile and uh, important in our lives, right? We lift them off the page by practicing the four tasks. So all of these work together. The Four Noble, the Eightfold Path, um, there's a few different 
methods out. Different teachers assert different ways that these are supposed to be cultivated. Some teachers swear that they're they're linear and you have to accomplish each one in a row. But the majority of teachers believe that they're uh, that they're um, <clears throat> that they're practiced all at the same time. That they're holistic. That one doesn't. Uh, there is no one starting point. Uh, there is some. There is some things that people agree upon, and that is that the first one, right view, quite possibly that's a starting point, but it's but it's clearly the end point as well, because right view, having the right perspective or understanding the true nature of ourselves and reality, is synonymous with awakening itself. So, anyways, uh, we practice uh, the eightfold path uh, holistically. We practice all of them at the same time we, to cultivate them all equally. <clears throat> so when we're when we're at refuge level, that's the main practices. So back again to the top, we have the the four tasks, the eightfold path. This is what we're actually working on cultivating every day. And we have a practice called abiding on the breath. Uh, abiding on the breath is a practice of presence. It's just a it's keeping a little bit of our awareness on our breath at all times, whatever we're doing, just a little bit there. And that keeps us present. That keeps us in the here and now. And it's, it's actually quite a simple practice, but it's quite a profound practice. And then the practice of shining comes from our skillful living program. And, um, I'll let you read about that in the uh, practice guides. There's a piece on how to practice shining, but in a sense, it's learning how to shine with all your beautiful uh, talents and abilities and benevolent qualities, learning how to let them pour out into the world. So this is the first level of training is refuge level. Now we would suggest that people take refuge and practice this training for about a year, depending on the aptitude of the student and their experience. And the idea is that each training is built upon the next. So especially the practice of abiding on the breath, because our next practices are going to build upon that. <clears throat> okay, so now this might be enough uh, training for anyone for their whole life, as you can imagine. This is a, an amazing practice. And of course, this is the Buddhist prescribed method for awakening. So this can be enough for anyone. But if for those that wish to deepen their practice, and after really embodying these practices, and they feel like they're ready to add something to it, and possibly develop a deeper practice, those people can move on to Bodhisattva vows. Bodhisattva vows are an aspect of the Mahayana path of Buddhism. And, um, and so here we have the same basic idea. Uh, all of our practices, all of our training fit in the threefold training of virtue, understanding, and awareness. So let me explain a little bit about that. So when we talk about training and virtue, we're really talking about just basic goodness. Training in being a good human being, being a person 
who's good to others. Now, we're all pretty good at it, but imagine if you could really work at it and really train in it. Just imagine how good you could get at it, right? This is the idea of Buddhism. We believe with some proper application, some proper study, and, uh, and some proper practices, we can become extraordinary at this, and we can become incredibly virtuous and good people, right? So this is what this is what training in virtue is. Some people call it ethics. Um, sometimes I just call it goodness. But this is the foundation for all Buddhism. Buddhism begins with this idea of virtue. And the three of these are all holistic. There's not one that's more important than others, though virtue is the foundation. Then we have training and understanding. Understanding is the wisdom and insight aspect of the path. And this is learning about things. And now you, most people assume that this means study. And it does, but again, we use the three great objectives of study, contemplation, and meditation, because meditation is a profound uh, practice for gaining insight and understanding, especially when we're practicing insight meditation. <clears throat> but, uh, but training and understanding isn't just uh, a conceptual understanding. You also have to remember it's experiential as well. It's it's understanding the world around you through your own experiences, right? Through the things that you see, through through understanding yourself and understanding others. So I'd like to, I'd like everyone to have a very expanded view of what we mean by training and understanding. Understanding can be going to classes, it could be reading books, but it's also living life and experimenting with things and learning from the people around you, yeah? Then we have training in awareness, and this is this is training in cultivating higher mental and meditative states. Now, this begins simply with uh, simple practices of, of presence, which is following the breath and being present in the present moment. It can then be expanded into <clears throat> an experience of stillness, which is a deeper experience and practice of presence that in turn can go deeper into experiences of emptiness and then leading to nirvana and full awakening so as you can see there's a spectrum of of awareness right we call this consciousness we can call this awareness some people call it single-pointed concentration but that's only a small part of it but we have the spectrum of Awareness and perspective, right? How we see the world, how, how our senses are taking in the world, what we're making it, how we're interpreting it, <clears throat> how we're projecting our views onto the world. It's really how we take in the world itself. This is training in awareness. Now, when you've been a meditator for a while and you get into some of these more, these deeper, uh, amazing states, you gain a great you gain great information and understanding about the world about your own awareness and you're able to engage the world in a much different way and hopefully with this awareness and this idea of presence we have these qualities of of patience and <clears throat> 
understanding of others, right? This idea of patience. Uh, we have non-reactivity where we, we're not so reactive in the world. We learn to calm down. We learn to slow down. We lose that neurotic busyness that everybody seems to have, right? That, that neurotic busyness that sees everything as being so immediate and so important that our self-importance, all of this lets go. And we start to see the true nature of reality, right? Through these experiences, we start to see the world as it truly is. So these all come together to form this, to form awakening. The cultivation and, and achievement of the threefold training is full awakening itself. <clears throat> so, whenever, if anybody asks you what practices you do, it's an easy question, easy answer. You say the threefold training. Now, each one of these training practice levels that we're talking about, they all fit into the threefold training. Everything in Buddhism fits into the threefold training, everything we do. But that gives you a little bit of an out, outline of it all. Now, what do we do with the Bodhisattva level? So we've taken refuge. We've been practicing refuge uh, and studying and practicing and training for about a year. We've now started to habituate these, these qualities, right? We say our affirmations every morning. We're familiar with the practices. We've noticed they've made a big change in us. And now they've become kind of second nature. And now we would, we'd like to see if we can add to it. Can I deepen my practice? At this point, you might go to your teacher and say, I'm interested in taking my practice a little bit more seriously and deepening my practice to get more of that result that I'm enjoying. <clears throat> At this point, you ask your teacher if you could take Bodhisattva vows. Bodhisattva vows are 26 precepts that are added to the 10 precepts of refuge. And they're, they're basically oriented around altruism and compassion. That's the big difference between them. Refuge vows are a lot allowed about basic do's and don'ts uh, in life and uh, proper behavior, right? Proper skill for productive behavior and non-productive behavior. Whereas bodhisattva vows are a lot more about our intentions and our attitude and it's an outpouring of our care for others. And at this level, uh, we continue to uphold all the practices, training and commitments in refuge because now they're second nature that's a piece of cake now we're going to add these these next precepts on top of that and um and they it comes with vows precepts and commitments like refuge does and then also we're going to engage in some new practices so on top of the eightfold path we're going to add the six perfections which are uh supreme generosity supreme goodness supreme patience supreme effort supreme concentration and supreme wisdom those are added upon that and the reason we use that word supreme is because we're not talking about everyday qualities because most of us are fairly generous and good and patient but we're talking now 
these qualities at the level of an awakened being. And again, it's aspirational. We're not saying that you can do it now. We're saying we're going to work towards those goals. So we think about like the first one, generosity. We're not talking about regular old generosity. We're talking about the generosity of a Bodhisattva or a Buddha, which would just be incredible, right? So we're trying to elevate our practices at that level. So we have the six perfections that are added to it. There's also a practice called mind training, which is a practice used, I always think it should be called heart training, but it's the practice for cultivating bodhicitta or the mind, the altruistic mind of awakening, a mind that is deeply uh, connected to the care and, and, uh, and compassion towards others. <clears throat> And then on top of that, our practice of abiding on the breath, which we've been practicing for a year, now we're able to shift into a practice called abiding in emptiness. Okay, so the six perfections, I think, is straightforward. I don't need to mention that. The mind training is just, uh, we do it in about a week. We haven't done it for a while. We should do it again. But it's a contemplation on various topics. And basically, it's supposed to create more compassion and empathy for others <clears throat> and it works it's a wonderful practice so now abiding in emptiness is basically the same practice as abiding on the breath where we still follow the breath we still keep a little bit of our attention on the breath at all times but now we also bring in the concept the ideas the philosophy of emptiness in Buddhism on top of it. And we're trying to see the world in a deeper way. We're trying to see and ascertain the true nature of reality itself. Emptiness is a topic I am not going to get into here. It's a very uh, deep topic. <clears throat> but um, there's a beautiful piece in the practice guides at the Bodhisattva level that you can read about that. And as well, they're on the uh, website too. So again, on top of the refuge vows, when you're ready, come these bodhisattva level training. And these are applied on top of those. Now the next level for those, again, who wish to deepen their practice further, you know, people would take bodhisattva levels. And again, they would maybe for a year, they would practice these new ones on top of the refuge. <clears throat> and when they start to become habituated and they're embodied and uh, the, the practitioner wishes to take it deeper, we have another practice, <clears throat> another, another level of training, lay ordination. So lay ordination is a new thing in Buddhism. Traditionally, Buddhism just has a division of monastic, which is monks and nuns, and lay people, which is men and women, lay practitioners. Um, but nowadays, it seems like we needed an extra category because we have so many people nowadays that practice and train like monastics. And we also have monastics who I think would much rather live a more uh, lay life. So um, uh, we, with uh, many people asking me to do so, SBT has started a lay ordination program and training. And so again, this fits within the threefold training. And <clears throat> again, it, it's 
founded on refuge vows and then bodhisattva vows. And then now there's 46 new precepts to lay ordination and there's commitments. And, and again, each level of training, each deeper level of training adds more precepts. <clears throat> and a, an easy way to fig, to understand what we what we're why we're taking the precepts. The precepts outline awakened behaviors and characteristics that we're trying to <clears throat> attain. In a sense, the the precepts paint a picture of what an awakened being is. <clears throat> and so with each new level of training and with each extra set of precepts, we're, we're becoming more and more focused on perfecting that outline and painting that picture of exactly what an awakened being is and how they would behave. So they're precepts of awakened behavior. And, and attitude and perspective, right? Okay, so with that said, uh, again, we start with refuge, then bodhisattva. Now, <clears throat> in, uh, in cultivating the lay ordination vows, we have, uh, we're, uh, we're working on cultivating awakening. And there's only a single practice that we add here. And this practice is called Taking the Result as the Path. And it's a fascinating practice that actually comes from Tantric Buddhism. And it's a practice in which we, we imagine ourselves as awakened beings, and we use that image as a compass, as a direction, as a focus to, to work towards to attain those qualities. So from the, from the practice of abiding on the breath, we add the aspects of emptiness, the understanding of the true nature of reality to deepen that. These are the practices of awareness. And then once we get to that point, then we add taking the result as the path <clears throat> to go even deeper. So those three are directly related to our, our training in awareness. And so I'd like to point out, uh, to make this simple, for each one of the trainings, there's really two simple things that we're doing. The first is you're upholding the vows, precepts, and com commitments for that level. <clears throat> for refuge level, it's focused on the Four Noble Truths, period, right? There's different practices there, but they're all there in order to accomplish or cultivate or attain an understanding of the Four Noble Truths. For Bodhisattva level, again, we have vows, precepts, and commitments. The Bodhisattva level is focused on cultivating bodhicitta, the altruistic mind of awakening. And often in our prayer we say, may I awaken in order to benefit all beings. That gives you an idea of that, of that attitude, of that intention of, of bodhicitta. And then with lay ordination, we're focusing directly on cultivating awakening itself. Once we have all those practices. So you can see, I'm hoping I'm painting a picture how all of these practices fit together. Right? 
this is training in SBT. And we believe that this is a this is a practice of training that actually leads to awakening. How about we take some questions? Does anybody have any questions or thoughts on any of these? We have many people here that have taken different ones. I'm going to stop sharing this. I can put it up if anybody needs it. Do you understand your training? Here we have different people at different levels of training. Did I help to clarify what they are? Yeah? Good. Does anybody have any questions about them? Yes, Ms. Wangmo. Would you mind talking very briefly about the path from Laerdain to uh, monastic? Sure. <clears throat> so I didn't, I didn't uh, have this on the list because we haven't actually started it yet. We haven't started our monastic training program, but it, it is written and finished. The vows are there, all the practices are there. Basically, they do the same practices lay ordained or monastic ordained but again each level basically we do it for the same reason because we want to get deeper into our practice right each level of training is a deeper commitment and therefore the hope is you get a greater result from it uh we started lay ordination uh, for the fact that many people simply couldn't do a monastic path, right? The monastic path is an intense one. You know, the uh, the idea is that that you 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 renounce lay life so you can spend all your time awakening. That the only focus of your life is awakening, right? Twenty four seven. You can imagine if someone can do such a thing, the results would be should be pretty impressive you know so um basically that's what it is now some people would look at it and say well monastic life is more restrictive they look at it as more things you can't do right <laughs> which there's some truth to but uh there's an old saying that some people look at their vows as restrictions i have to paraphrase they're the things that, you know the things you can't do other people look at them as things are liberated from. And I always found the second to be true. I always found that every one of my vows liberates me from those activities. And I find great freedom in my vows. I don't feel, I don't feel them as binding. I think that they're, they're a source of amazing freedom. So it's up to you how you see your vows. But, so, but straightforward, there's a, Monastics, of course, are celibate. Monastics aren't permitted to work for profit. Monastics have a vow of poverty. Monastics have a vow of homelessness. I mean, and, and we purposely made it a, an intense path because for those people that wanted such a thing, like myself, uh, the monastic path for me is just absolutely wonderful. Greatest thing I ever did. So, but it's not for everybody. So with, with um, SBT, we have all of these different trainings that people can decide for themselves 
what works for them, how deep they want to go. Yeah. So that was that was the hope that we could really help everybody in that way. And if you remember, we always talk about that SPT was created for one purpose, to support practitioners. Really, I try to keep it at, at that. When I think about SPT, when I'm working on programs and things, the thought is, how can I support practitioners? We don't expect anything in return. Donations are nice. We live on donations, but this isn't about, we, we're not looking for a commitment from people. We're there for you. And so we offer a curriculum. We offer training for people that believe that it'll, that it'll benefit their spiritual path. Yeah. And for people that don't, they don't have to take them. In fact, people can do our very highest practices without taking any vows or commitments at all. That's completely up to them. Yeah. Uh, Yunta? <clears throat> yeah, um, about suffering. Um, the first noble, the, the first truth is very kind of self-evident, there is suffering. And then the third truth that there's an end to suffering seems to be a huge claim. Um, and I, I, earlier this week I was walking the dog and I was thinking, well, you know, I mean, it makes sense if you know, the Buddha was this prince who was living this enclosed life where there was no suffering, suddenly he's shocked by the fact that there is suffering. And then perhaps he'd want to bring it to an end. Whereas most of us just grow up and, and, and have to learn to deal with it. Um, and, so I, and so I was thinking like, how, how original was what he did with suffering? Is that like a, a original teaching of Buddhism? <clears throat> or would that have been implied in all of the other religions, like his previous teacher taught union with the absolute, whatever that is. And but I mean, would it have been implied within union with the absolute that you know you're now free of suffering? Was this a big thing at the time? Was it in, in like his general society? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, for most of the for most of the religions, their eye is more on salvation. <clears throat> I think the focus of all of those is more on winning God's grace and being anointed with some incredible state of being kind of a magical thing, right? In, in Hinduism and in Tantra, you know, they talk about becoming sorcerers of the universe. So I think a lot of religions, are, there's kind of this, this thought that's more in this way, where Buddhism really took a different approach. Instead of being focused on attaining this, this spiritual grace and being, being uh, removed from the world, uh, Buddhism does the opposite and says, why don't we take a real good look at suffering? Let's do the opposite. Let's explore suffering itself. And let's see if we can remedy it. And in, and in a sense, what we're saying is that Buddhism believed that we ourselves could liberate ourselves from suffering. It's not dependent on being liberated by an external force where all the other religions are. You could only be liberated from all of this through the grace of a God, according to other religions, right? <clears throat> And so Buddhism was, was quite different. It was much more of a humanistic 
Uh, so it was quite an original uh, thought and a, an original contribution to spirituality at the time. Seemed quite, seemed quite original, yeah. yeah and and just the thought, it, but it was more secular. It was the idea of <clears throat> we liberate ourselves from suffering. We're not, we're not appeasing. We're not making offerings to gods. Okay. Right? Jains were a little like that, but not as much as the Buddha. Yeah. Then you talked about another thing that was interesting. You talked about suffering and well, one last point. You know the the story of the Buddha, Buddha's awakening and living in the palace and and seeing suffering. You know they say that's the same story for all the Buddhas. Every Buddha. In fact, I think I read somewhere where <clears throat> the original story of the Buddha wasn't a story of him, but was a story of the his predecessor before him. But when we talk about suffering as the first noble truth, uh, and we talk about the uh, cessation of suffering, the third noble truth, uh, now, uh, most of the Buddhist traditions, they, they have this absolute idea that it's, suffer it's the end of any and all suffering of any kind, that it's absolute purity of all afflictions and limitations, which, yeah, sounds pretty hard to believe. I think in some ways, though, for traditional Buddhism, the idea is that after a Buddha passes away and they're no longer reborn with a body and a human mind, that would be the ultimate sensation. Because clearly the Buddha became a Buddha, became awakened, but he still suffered greatly in his life up to his death. There's, there's enough information about that. So yeah, it's, there, there's nothing straightforward about that. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> but we can all work towards awakening. We can all work towards limiting our suffering and getting to a place where, you know, we find happiness. Yeah. David, is your arm sore? <laughs> it's not really my arm. I've just got... <laughs> um, yeah, it's just a practical uh, issue that just crossed my mind, uh, Tarpa, as you're uh, in how to expand the monastic order when there isn't a tradition in the West of uh, donations and supporting uh, uh, monks. Uh, I mean, how the answers, yeah. The answer is really simple. We don't. I just don't think that way. What I think about is um, how do I support people that want to take up monasticism. It, I don't think about it the other way. How do I make a monastic order? How do we increase a monastic order? That's. I just don't think that way. I think of the. I get quite a few uh, <clears throat> emails weekly at people that want to become monastics. So the idea is that how can I do that? Um, and it would be done just like everything SBT does through do donations. And so uh, hopefully there's a situation where we're, we're able to have enough donations to do that. We also would need a monastery for monastics to live in. So yes, it's a, that's one of the reasons we don't have it running right now is because it's a really big step for SPT, but I'm determined to be able, be able to offer that because there's so many people like myself that are in love with monasticism, but would like to do it in a secular way. So that needs to be available to people. 
And then on the monk side, monks are live in a very simple way, so we're not a burden upon the lay. So it's a little bit of a trade-off each way. But the way I see it is that if we keep all our expenses very low and that it's something that we could do in the future. I think if we do good work, people want to support us. And, you know, our commitment to that everything in SBT is free and always will be. Yeah. yeah, yeah I So we're a big experiment, to, to be honest with you. And we're we're an experiment, seeing if we can if we can do a tradition in the right way, and to avoid the pitfalls of the other ones, all the money and abuse and all that. You know, can we do it? Can we have the can we have uh, <clears throat> the uh, a safety net in place so we don't safeguards in place so we don't fall into those traps? One of the great things about staying in over sixty monasteries in every Buddhist country across the world from the tip from the top of the Himalayas, from Mongolia, Thailand, everywhere, is I got to see all the ways not to run a monastery <laughs> or how, how not to run a tradition. And I got to see what the problems that they dealt with. And so maybe we're arrogant thinking that we have a, we have a, a chance of doing it the right way, but I can't think of any other aim in life that is as noble. What a beautiful, noble thing. And a lot of people lose, sometimes uh, I run across uh, a bit of negativity against monasticism. And 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 it's basically that people don't quite understand it very well. I think people see it um, as religious and they see it as authoritative. And of course they rebel against that, but they so rarely take the time to look at the beauty of it. Or, or a simple fact that the Buddha himself was a monk. People forget this. The Buddha was the first monk, and the Buddha made monks. I mean, uh, out of all the things he did, making monastics was was front and center in Buddhism. And uh, of course, he he valued everyone. He believed that there were four types of practitioners in his order. There was male monastic, female monastic male lay, male female, and and uh, the, uh, lay female, and they were all equal. So, we, so we'll, we'll carry that through in ours as well. But monasticism is, uh, you know, to see the commitment that people make to, to, uh, to, be a, to take that level of renunciation in order to awaken, in many cases, for the benefit of others, right, with the bodhisattva ideal, I think people, uh, lose track of the beauty of it. It's just, an, it's an incredible path. It's a beautiful, beautiful path of selflessness. Yeah. I, I must say, I think that vision, Tarp, is very inspirational. I think just magnificent. Yeah, I mean, I've met bad monks that that didn't, you know, they didn't really want to be monks, their parents just made it. But, but uh, I've met the most extraordinary people that are just, truly focused on awakening that there's nothing more important in their lives than that and doing so to benefit others and it's there's such a beauty to it that's the part people don't see and it's not their fault i think in the especially in the west we we kind of have a society of a, a cynicism we're supposed to be mistrusting of things and maybe sometimes it's a good thing so we don't get suckered into bad ideas and cults and things like that 
But I often try to uh, point that out to people that people that are negative and say, uh, you know, just take some time and try to reflect on the beauty of monasticism because it is a truly beautiful path. And for me to, to keep the Buddha Sangha of monasticism alive, this is a, a, a thing that I'm very interested in. There's a reason I called it the secular Buddhist tradition because from the very beginning, before any of you folks were here, my idea was to start secular monasticism and to keep monasticism alive. People are always saying to me that monasticism is dead. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be somewhere. We're not gonna practice that in the West. And I'm sure throughout history, the um, monasticism has, has been, uh, has had a strong focus and and had and had a, a weaker point. So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sure how to say it. It's been popular and not popular uh, over 2,000 years. There's been a lot of ebb and flow, ups and downs. But the idea is that for maybe 2,600 years, it's been continuous. And monks were the Buddha's idea. <clears throat> Supposedly, Buddhists were the first monks. So to me, uh, it's an extraordinary thing that's that's worth uh, continuing, even if it's just a handful of people. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Sorry if I went on there. Thank you. I thought today was going to be a light, short teaching. What happened? What well, happened poor. was you tried to summarize the whole of SBT in about forty-five <laughs> minutes. <laughs> Boy, you pour a cup of coffee into this monk and he just keeps chatting. Uh, we're, we're coming up to the end of our chat. I wanted to share one last thing. Uh, I wanted to show everybody where this, all these uh, this information uh, can be found. Uh, so anyways, this is our website. And if you come up here at the top where it says downloads, you can click on that. And then in our download library, we start off with uh, study and practice material. This is just some of our text. Then we have supplemental text. We have a brand new SPT glossary of Buddhist terms. People have been asking for this for years for me. I finally got it done and I posted it. Please enjoy it. And uh, it needs some updating, but it's, a, it's in pretty good shape. But if you come down a little bit further, we have right here our SPT practice guides. Now, each one is built upon the last. So the first one, the novice level, doesn't have information from the, the, the later ones, but it's, it's a simple text. So the first button here, the PDF, is the guide itself, which is, uh, it has a lot of, of supplemental material, but the actual daily practice of reciting affirmations, I made really easy by having a PDF form, and we also have a PDF dark, which I love because when I wake up in the morning and the lights are off and I'm meditating and I say my prayers, I turn on my tablet, that white light just blinds me. So for me, I made mine black with white letters to make it easier, and I thought you would all probably enjoy the same. And then we also have an audio of uh, myself reciting 
the morning pr practice. And it's up to you what kind of combination you like to do. If you like reading them, listening to them, or a combination of them. If you're running late, you can play the audio in the car on the way to work. Then we have skillful living. <clears throat> the skillful living practice guide is for people who have completed the skillful living program. We are starting the skillful living program at the first of the year. I think it starts in January 8th, that's 2024. Uh, so we'd love you to come. They have the same practices here. Then we get into training with refuge level. Again, there, there's the practice guide itself. And then we have the shorter daily practices. And then Bodhisattva level. And then lay ordain level. At the bottom, we have a daily practice. We have Evening contemplation. This is in the guide, but this is just a short P, uh, MP3 for it. And then people requested that I had an open intro to meditation, meaning there isn't an end to it, so they could meditate as long as they want. And I have two. I have a basic meditation, which gives all of the instructions and then just stops and you can meditate for hours. And the advanced meditation, which has less instructions and it does the same. Okay, and besides that, I wanted to show you one more thing. For a lot of the supplemental material that's in the practice guides, but you can also find it in programs. For example, <clears throat> if we come down here to uh, Refuge Vows. This takes you to the Refuge page. Then at the bottom of the Refuge page, we have uh, download, we have the Refuge Vows themselves, but we have a button, Study Material. We have this at the bottom of each one of the programs, and the Study Material takes you to just that. These are videos, there's text, and we, we keep compiling and putting new information. We'll put this video we're doing now on there as well. So that's available in all of the different um, program pages on the website. Um, Choki. Oh, I just wanted to say for the video, you said that School for Living starts on the 8th. It starts on the 7th, Sunday Thank the 7th. You. Thank you so much. Yeah, it starts on it's every Sunday. Yeah, very good. Are there any last questions before we end with today's teaching? I hope that that was helpful. I wanted to clarify some of those points to everybody. And uh, we'll make the video uh, available. So anytime you have any questions about your practice, you can uh, reflect upon that. Okay. I think I'll do some short videos of this and put them on the uh, study material as well. Okay, with that said, why don't we end today's teaching with an altruistic affirmation. May all be healthy, may all be prosperous, may all be well, may all be present, free of past regret and future worry. May all abide in constant appreciation, which is a source of great joy and contentment. May all realize the true nature and the true nature of reality, which is awakening. Thanks, everybody, for joining me on Christmas Eve and making it a lot of fun. And uh, we'll see you all tomorrow for meditation. Merry Christmas, everybody. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Bye. Bye.